Hi, I'm Dr. Pam Peek, and welcome to episode 314 of Her, the podcast where you're going to hear the naked truth about her mind, her body, her life, and her medical cannabis. Ah, I've gone there. Yes, I have. Oh my gosh, this is going to be a really amazing show before we begin. Just know that this episode is made possible by our wonderful friends at Smarty Pants Women's Vitamins, the delicious once-a-day gummies that contain all of the essential vitamins, minerals, and omega oils customized just for women. To learn more, hop on over to SmartyPantsVitamins.com. Here's your reminder, your very first one, and I'll be talking to you about this later on after the episode, to click on the iTunes after the episode to rate and review the show because I'm just sitting here waiting for your feedback. Okie dokie, it's time for Her. Her, the podcast. The naked truth about women. Her mind. Her body. Her life. It's all about Her. Now, I haven't dealt with this yet on my podcast, and I just figured with my producers and uh, team, it was time to talk about all things medical cannabis. And what better way to do it than with two founders of a company uh, that deals in this, and they have a book, High Heels, and that's H-E-A-L-S, that was cool. High Heels, How Two Women Found Their Footing in the Medical Cannabis Industry. Now, raise your hand if you've just been scratching your head wondering, where is this industry going? What is this industry all about? Well, both women, and that is Gina Dubay and Dr. Leslie Apgar, are both on the podcast today, and they're going to tell us all about that. So Gina is a serial entrepreneur and venture capitalist with all kinds of business experience, um, and there's no, there's no reason why someone like Dr. Apgar wouldn't just glom onto this level of expertise and say, hey, let's run with it. Dr. Apgar is a board-certified OBGYN with 17 years of experience in direct patient care, and she has a real passion for helping people. And I'm, I'm just going to say, what an interesting combination. So Gina, Leslie, welcome to the Her Podcast. Thank Thanks for you. having us. All right, just tell me, why? Why did you decide to go into this field? I'll let Gina take that one. You know, it's an interesting question. <laughs> Neither one of us aimed at cannabis. As a matter of fact, we both were very skeptical and counseled our children against it, kind of like the this is your brain on drugs rap when we had children that were young. But Leslie brought this opportunity to me and we jumped in. Les, I'll let you give an overview of how that happened. Sure. So I had a patient who had come to me when cannabis was first coming to the state of Maryland and she said, hey, Dr. Apgar, I know that you have kind of an open mind and you've always kind of been open to holistic medicine. You're from the West Coast. And what do you think if we use your name and bid you as our medical director for this program in Maryland? And I said, sure, let's let's talk about that. And one thing led to another and they needed funding. And I said, well, my best friend has funding and she knows how to get funding. That's her wheelhouse. Let's include her. And the the conversation kind of went south. I'll just say that we were mansplained to and leave it at that. 
And we just decided, well, that was a, a foul. I guess we won't go that route. And I shrugged it off, but Gina didn't. And she went right to her laptop and looked up the requirements to write a proposal ourselves because she had been approached by other cannabis opportunities over the years and they hadn't really been right, hadn't felt right. And we really thought that the two of us could put our heads together and create a proposal that made sense and might be a little bit different from what the commission was looking at as far as other options. And my friend Gina sat down at that computer and typed away for about 120 hours and (laughs) wrote a compelling piece of fiction, we like to say, but um, in any case, we won. And then we were like, oh my gosh, what now? Because obviously I had to leave the the practice of traditional medicine and my partners were thinking that I was incredibly foolish and I was throwing my career away and my license away. What was I doing? And look at who is laughing now because they are coming to me themselves and sending me their loved ones to be cared for now that the cannabis market has matured a little bit in Maryland. So it has been a wild ride to be sure, not what either one of us expected. Interesting. And and tell tell us about greenhouse wellness. This is the, you know, the medical cannabis dispensary. Um, so tell us about that. We decided to go on a non-traditional approach. We wanted somewhere that our mothers would feel comfortable. And we also wanted it to be very medical because we recognize that in alternative therapies, Issues like cancer, like Parkinson's, there aren't a lot of good treatments. So we went out and created somewhere with crystal chandeliers and white leather furniture staffed by nurses and fitness professionals who could really counsel patients on the medical effectiveness of cannabis. And we also did extensive research. And you can't research here in the United States because cannabis is a Schedule One drug. So we had to go to Israel to get that research or to Canada. Our hope is that with the more mainstream use of cannabis and acceptance, that the government will take it off of Schedule 1 and move it to a lower schedule so that it can be researched in the labs. I've heard, you know, based upon my own research and colleagues um, who are entering this uh, fray, both from... Uh, oh, good grief. Um, from both from the investment, um, everything from private equity to VCs to venture capital, um, and others, um, they're, you know, they've had a lot of frustration with the fact that they can't get a single university in the United States, uh, to be able to, you know, hop on board and help them look at some of the, uh, creative compounds they're looking at, um, for other products, say for instance, for sleep and, you know, back and forth. And uh, that's one of the reasons why they reached out to me because I'm an NIH-trained clinical scientist. And I said, good luck with that, buddy, Um, because (laughs) it is a Schedule One, and uh, researchers don't want to risk themselves getting into trouble, um, to say the least. And so it has been across the pond, you know, in Europe and Israel and other places uh, where you're going to find most of the uh, baseline research 
And I can imagine it's, it's fairly frustrating uh, to say the least. Um, but when you set up the dispensary, did you run into any roadblocks um, uh, when you were trying to open the doors and, and get some level of acceptance uh, within mainstream? We ran into all the roadblocks. We we would we couldn't get anybody to answer our calls. I mean, it was it was a disaster. It was um it was crazy. I mean, the first thing that happened is the bank called Gina and invited her to leave her bank that she'd banked at for <laughs> however many years and and had all of her kids' college savings accounts in. And um, you know, the, this whole thing with our bid for this dispensary in Maryland, it, it happened really quickly. I think we only had about 10 days to get this thing written and I was about ready to leave for my honeymoon. So it left the lion's share to poor Gina. So we didn't have time to form an LLC or anything and she just submitted it under her name. And so when that list was released in the news, the bank called her up and Gina is a very wily girl, let me tell you. And she has learned over the years a few things. One of them is to defend herself and to stand up and to really flex her female muscles because she asked, wait, are you making all the men who won also leave the bank? And there was silence. And, you know, it's it's interesting when you turn the conversation back around and make people really think about what they're doing and why they're doing it. So anyway, she ended the conversation. When you have the men who won leave the bank, then you can call me back. But until then, you know, see ya, which I, I just think is epic and such a wonderful lesson for all of us ladies, wherever we are in the world and whatever we're doing. So that was the first thing that happened. The second thing that happened is that we couldn't find space. Gina, how long did it take us to find space, actually? You know, we were supposed to be open within 12 months. And so we knew it would take three to four months to get construction done. And we were still in month eight because you had to find a building that didn't have a bank mortgage on it because the landlords were afraid that if the bank found out that you had a federally illegal business operating, they would pull the mortgage on the entire building. Or if the building was raided by the police for some reason, they would lose their investment. So as you might guess, that caused our real estate options to go down to practically nothing. Now, we did find a very forward-thinking, holistic wellness um, group in, near Columbia, and they have been nothing short of spectacular to work with. And as we have migrated our business to curbside with the onset of COVID, we find ourselves in the perfect place, which was not what we were seeking to begin with. So um, it falls into thank God for unanswered prayers, that category of life. But it was daunting to say the least. And after running a venture fund, this is probably somewhere in the 60th business that I have incorporated. And it is the hardest by far in every area. It's hard for space. It's hard for operation. It's hard for compliance. Banking is nearly impossible. It's hard for taxes. There is no easy way to operate in the cannabis space. That's just unbelievable. I, I think that one of the things that is so terribly important is uh, for us to be able to, you know, wrap our head around the fact that this is all in flux. Do you see this changing anytime soon? We sure hope so. We see the legislation in Maryland tentatively talking about making it legal in 22. But on a federal 
level, we really need it to go off the Schedule 1 list because then that allows research and banking. And to me, those are the two critical areas. We want fundamental studies that show us proof of the efficacy of cannabis as opposed to the anecdotal data we have now. And we have piles of anecdotal data. And from a banking perspective, to allow it to be mainstream and legal, because there is one bank in the entire state of Maryland that will bank cannabis. And that's just fraught with peril. That's unbelievable. That just blows my mind, um, to say the least. Uh, it's just really, truly, it's mind boggling. And well, go, um, what I'm, yeah, go ahead. To go a step further, we can't have a checking account. We can't have a credit card. We can't process credit cards. It, it is, the bank basically serves as a clearing house for us to pay the growers and move money on accounts in the bank. Wow. And, and uh, I, I don't think people really think about things like uh, the bank involvement with all of this. Uh, I really don't. Um, I'm really trying to wrap my head around this myself because this is all new for me as well as I'm listening to you and learning. You know, when when your book and, and your entire company was really uh, was uh, presented to me by my uh, producer, you know, I, I felt to myself, you know, this is happening everywhere. Uh, these dispensaries, quite frankly, um, are popping up right and left. And um, I happen to know as a physician uh, of people who have benefited uh, because they have chronic disease. Uh, and, and you mentioned that a little bit earlier as well. Um, and they really, um, you know, see a, uh, uh, that this is helpful to them, uh, but it's rather difficult to be able to access. And uh, I don't think people fully understand the obstacle course. It's like a gauntlet um, to be able to set something like this up. And yet they are coming. I mean, uh, so in the state of Maryland, where do they stand with uh, cannabis? So in what way, Pam? Uh, legally, in other words, um, uh, can people access cannabis? You know, like Colorado and other states have have oh, opened up. It. Yes, yes, yes. Right. So, so at present, Maryland is just a medical cannabis state. But as Gina alluded to, we think we're hearing rumblings that it it could go recreationally as early as twenty twenty two. So we do we do think that um, entry barriers will be slightly diminished. So there's, it's, it's just a really interesting situation. So I was a board-certified OBGYN and practiced, colored between the lines, used my randomized controlled trials, learned absolutely nothing about THC in medical school except for perhaps it decreases sperm count and don't do it. And so I really had never learned about the endocannabinoid system because it was discovered way after I graduated and was out in practice. So I, this was a whole new language for me, and I had to learn it. And uh, then I had to teach it to the staff, and now we're teaching it to the patients and to the other physicians and things. So I think in the beginning, there was just so much distrust for me, too. I mean, cynicism, too, because I didn't know it. I hadn't been exposed to it. But what I did know is that traditional medicine was failing. It was failing right and left, and it was really tiresome to go to work every day and see patients who had chronic medical diseases 
and just expected me to prescribe a pill and make them immediately feel better. And one pill causes this side effect, another pill you take for that side effect causes this side effect, you take another pill for that side effect. I mean, it's absurd. And I really took to heart in med school when they said, when people present to you, look at their medication list, look at them hard and see if there's anything that they can get off of or take less of because chances are we're causing the problems to our patients. When they are taking these medications, we're probably causing them harm. So I took that very seriously and it just became like incongruous with who I was as a healer and as a provider. It just it wasn't it wasn't appropriate, this this Western medicine that I had grown up in. So when I got into the cannabis realm, I was floored. I mean, here we had patients coming in on enough fentanyl and oxycodone to kill an elephant or ten elephants. And they were using cannabis and getting off of their opioids entirely, getting off of their benzos entirely, getting off of their sleep agents, getting their lives back, going back to the workforce. I, I've i never seen anything like it. I used to deliver babies. I used to bring new life into the world. I thought that was the pinnacle of my medical experience, right? Well, turns out it wasn't. I mean, being on the front lines and watching these patients come in and watching them heal in front of our eyes. It's just been unreal. And and it's really cool to share that experience with the staff to see our wellness consultants. And and Gina, I mean, Gina's gotten so close with so many of the patients. And you know, we cry with them when they, they lose their battles, as some often do when they are facing a terminal illness. And we laugh and rejoice with them when their pet scans come back with no evidence of disease and that they are leaving their walker at home and their cane at home and their MS is now really stabilized. Or the, One of the stories we talked about in our book was the lady who couldn't drink her coffee in the morning or read her Kindle because her shaking, her tremor was so significant from her Parkinson's that she couldn't eat her breakfast. I mean, it's it's something so small like that that we take for granted. But can you imagine? I mean, she was given her life back by taking a small amount with cannabis. And I think that what so many people, so many physicians too, initially did not understand and probably still don't understand about cannabis. It's not about the THC. We're not we're not getting people high. We're not. That's not what this is. People don't want to be high. Our average age of of patient is something like sixty two. And they haven't smoked and they haven't vaped and they really have no idea what the heck I'm talking about. And and it's hilarious to have these consultations with these older folks. But it's not about the THC. It's CBD, cannabidiol, is is a non-intoxicating major cannabinoid, huge anti-inflammatory. And it counteracts a lot of the negative side effects of THC because anybody who's ever use THC that one time back in college or what have you, if you've had too much of it, you know that it has awful side effects. If people have been to Colorado, say, and and ate a candy bar and you didn't eat just one square of the candy bar because it tasted really good and you had the whole thing, it, it really does have some pretty significant side effects. So cannabis is all about moderation. It's all about microdosing and little itty bitty bits of THC with bigger bits of CBD and all the other things. There's about 500 different compounds in the cannabis plant. So as a scientist, it's very difficult to ferret out what is working and how it's working. But it turns out that the whole of the plant is greater than the sum of its parts. And there's something called the entourage effect that is at play here. And so when you add 
THC with CBD with some certain terpenes, which are the flavorings and colorings that you and I and everybody have been eating and drinking our whole lives, you really get magical effects. So truly, I think now that we've been in business for a few years, doctors are hearing from their patients that this stuff is working. The patients are returning to their doctor's offices off of medications and the doctors are scratching their heads and wondering why that PET scan is now clean and wondering why the patient's not limping as much, wondering why the inflammation is down. So the proof is in the pudding. We just need to have some American data to back it up. Uh, We certainly are thrilled about our neighbors in the North who are now producing some pretty robust studies and some good data for us to learn from. But I am eagerly anticipating American data and it's coming. It's just cumbersome to get at, but we, we will get there. Well, you know, when you're talking about American data, um, I know that you must have gone to the National Institute on Drug Abuse of the NIH, and they actually, if you if you just search cannabis, um, they actually have uh, an interesting amount of data, um, as well as um, uh, research groups, interest groups, uh, cannabis science interest groups, and back and forth. Okay, clearly in the beginning, a lot of that was looked at with the nuance of abuse. All right. So, you know, what are the negative things that are taking place and all the rest of it? Um, and and what does it do to the brain reward circuitry and, and that type of thing? Um, but I, you know, it'd be kind of interesting to have a little conversation with somebody over there. I happen to know the director of the Institute because she happens to be one of my neighbors. Um, and she's always been fascinated with this. Um, it's just that, you know, what do you do with that? See, the good news with them is uh, because they've done work with methamphetamine and heroin and God knows what else, because they have to. That's what the mission statement for the National Institute on Drug Abuse is all about. I mean, they're they're researching this. Um, It'd be kind of interesting to see if they could kind of now expand this to to really uh, a more enhanced view of what cannabis does per se. Um, in general. I mean, you could look at opioids all day. They've done that. I mean, they have a wealth of information in there. But truth be told, you know, if someone just, you know, got a spiral fracture of their of, of their tibia and fibula and, and <laughs> they're walking around in a hell of a lot of pain, you know, an opioid um, may be just, you know, what the doctor ordered and, and it'll help them, you know, through something like that. And it's not like they're going to go from there to, you know, a drug addict. So th- there are, you know, some two sides to some of these accepted um, uh, drugs, obviously not heroin, methamphetamine, those are clearly way out there illegal. Um, But one would hope. So maybe have a little look at um, what they're doing there um, with NIDA, um, because they've got a lot of updated research uh, that might be of some help as well. Uh, to say the least. So now one of the last things I want you to do is if you could do me a favor. Okay. I'm going to send you someone, you know, like, uh, someone who has a chronic, um, issue, right. Um, and, uh, they are someone who is, maybe they have MS, uh, multiple sclerosis and some chronic pain. Um, it could be anybody, right. Maybe, uh, cancer therapy, et cetera, et cetera. 
what's the experience like? So I call you up and I say, I'm sending over, you know, so-and-so, um, and please take good care of them. This person enters your establishment. What happens? What's their experience like? Well, it turns out that it is a three-step process. So first, the individual that wants to be a part of this program, the state of Maryland's program, has to register with the state. And that is now done through something called Maryland One Stop. They are kind of um, consolidating licensing and registrations in the state of Maryland. So it has changed from the Medical Mar uh, Maryland Medical Cannabis Commission, MMCC's website, to now Maryland One Stop. So the patient would simply fill out an application online, submit a picture of themselves, copy of their driver's license that proves that basically that they live in the state of Maryland, uh, figure out what indication that they are choosing to participate in the program because Maryland has a fairly limited list of reasons why they could join the program. And, you know, it's like severe pain, chronic pain, uh, muscle spasms, uh, PTSD, things like that. But it doesn't really matter because the last category is other, other medical condition um, for which your doctor thinks that medical cannabis might be a good alternative or, you know, what have you. So most patients end up choosing the other category. And then the state generates a 16-digit alphanumeric number for them. That's their patient number. And at that point, the patient then has to see a certifying provider and that list can be found, can be found on the MMCC's website. And there are many, let's just say, family practitioners that have decided, hey, you know, Western medicine is failing my patients in so many ways. Let me be open to this. Let me um, just certify my existing patients, say. And that individual can then log on, do their due diligence with the patient, because basically what we're trying to do is screen out for drug abuse and also for diversion, right? So we want to make sure that our our antenna aren't going off and that this is a valid uh, use for the patient. And so once that provider certifies that the patient has met the criteria, it's immediately active and that patient can choose to go to whatever dispensary they want in the whole state. And do you know what, there's like 70 of them? I think there's something to do with the possibility of as much as 102. Yeah. So what makes Greenhouse different, though, is that we're so medically focused. We're so, so, so medically focused. So I'm available by email and by telephone to do consultations all the time, and I get patients who reach out to me for a consultation before they even fill out their application to join the program to see if I think it, they would be a good fit. And then I do mostly what I do is, hey, I'm part of the program now. Uh, your menu has like 500 things on it and I do not know what to do. Like help, how do I get started? And so that's typically what I'm doing is I talk to the patient. I say, hey, what's your medical background? What are we, what are we fighting here? What medications are you on? And the question that I always ask is, which medication would you like to get off first? And invariably, that's an opioid. And so I think that as far as opportunities, especially for the um our own federal government to get involved is to really address the opioid epidemic here. It is soul crushing what is happening to our country as far as opioid addiction. And we actually wrote a case report in one of the journals about a patient who got off of her opioids with the help of cannabis. And uh, we are going to be participating in another study about uh, cannabis as 
chronic pain relief and potentially tie in how to get patients off of opioids. So there's just, it's just staggering what, what this plant can actually do and the risk profile of it when you talk about the relative risk of any kind of therapeutic modality is just really low. There are no receptors on the brainstem, very, very limited receptors on the brainstem so that you can't die of an overdose. You might feel like you're going to die. You might be hiding under your desk, rocking and sucking your thumb, thinking the feds are coming, but you, you're not going to have that respiratory depression. You're not going to um, have the interference with your heart rate and bradycardia. You know, you're not going to have any of that. And so it, it truly, when you think about what long-term benzo use does with dementia and and you talk about like the risk of overdose and things with opioids, it, it could really be a significant modality to really turn the tide on on heroin abuse. There's also some people that are looking at it as far as um, uh, addiction for alcohol. And um, CBD actually has been shown to affect the anxiety that's associated with withdrawal. And so it really has some pretty cool options as far as study designs. And I just, I am so hopeful that we become a little bit more open-minded in our country and and try and really get the robust data to support what those of us on the ground can already see is happening with our own eyes. Let me ask you a question. I mean, this is really eye-opening. I hope everyone out there in the Herb podcast land are taking copious notes because this is... This is really highly educational just to listen to you um, go through the science and the rest of it. Um, when you said there were 102 dispensaries, how many are owned by women? Under 5%. Is that sort of a national trend? You know, it is not statistically even like most things in life, but one would assume that there would be 51%, right? That is not true. It is white male dominated in cannabis to the exclusion of women and minorities. So I believe there are three diversity dispensaries in Maryland, if memory serves, and probably maybe four additional because one of the minorities are women owned that are owned by women. All the rest are white men. And to add insult to injury, the large corporations are buying them up by the drove. So Soon in Maryland, we are going to be owned solely by large, white-dominated male corporations. Interesting. And so you've got these big companies um, that that are really getting involved in this. I'm thinking of Canada's monster, uh, Kronos, and, and others yep. like that. Yes, exactly. Very, very interesting. Hmm. And their focus is recreational. Their focus is selling the most amount that they can at the highest THC. And ours has never been that way and never will be. And we have been told we were wrong from the get-go. But I think if you talk yeah. to patients, you're going to see a totally different experience. The, the other thing that we should really, we would be remiss if we didn't say, is that we are taking care of women. Women are coming into our dispensary. Women are the first line of healthcare for their whole families. So women are coming in for their husbands. Women are coming in for their children. Women are coming in for themselves. And when we opened this dispensary, we were horrified at what was on the shelf. There was nothing that 
Gina and I would be attracted to. There was nothing that we would feel comfortable doing or taking for our aches and pains or our anxiety. Can we talk a second about anxiety and PTSD and sleep disorder? I mean, it's absurd. And then enter COVID stage left. I mean, this is ridiculous. So patients are suffering and women are suffering and nobody is speaking up for the women in the world. So Gina and I, because we're stubborn and we love it when people tell us that we're wrong, we decided this is ridiculous. There's nothing that exists here on ourselves that we would ever want to buy. So we're going to have to just make it ourselves, I guess. And so we did. We, we developed a line of products for women called Blissiva, which is a combination of the word bliss, which is what Anandamide is named after. It's named after the Sanskrit word for supreme joy or bliss. And Anandamide, for those of you guys who do not know, is the first endocannabinoid that was discovered in our in our body. And that is what you would know is like your runner's high or that um, those no- natural endorphins, right? So right, that's anonymide. Right. And then sativa is an uplifting strain of cannabis that makes you giggly and happy and, and uplifted. And so we combined the names of those two things intentionally because that's what we we're trying to do for women everywhere is to create that. So we designed a line of products that we ourselves would be attracted to that are discreet so that if your child is about ready to make you want to jump out the window, you can take a puff of this vape pen that smells like vanilla or cucumber lime and you're not going to set off any smoke detectors and nobody's going to know what you're doing. It's just very discreet. And then the experience of it is like having a big, deep sigh or a glass of wine, but without the calories and it's a heck of a lot safer than tobacco and alcohol. Or, and so that was met with, go ahead. Or all the um, psychoactive drugs that might be prescribed like Valium right. or a Benzo. Right. Gotcha, gotcha. So it was met with, yeah, it was met with, um, I don't want to say disdain from the guys that we were talking to, but I mean, nobody really kind of understood. Women just, it's, it is very entertaining to me, but women are just sort of discounted wherever they go. And Gina and I are stubborn. We're so stubborn. And we just kept at it. And, you know, now that we have it, and it's it's hard to get because CBD is in great demand in our state. The, the growers, like Gina alluded to, they're not directed. At, they don't think the profit is where the CBD is. They think it's higher and higher THC. And I always give the analogy of it's like going to the liquor store because you're out of wine and you're having a really nice salmon filet and you want to go pick up some Pinot Noir. But on the way, you decide, well, wait, I'm just going to go get Everclear. And it's like, what? I mean, that's not, you don't want to drink Everclear with your salmon dinner. You want to have just a very nice light Pinot Noir or something. And so, unfortunately, that's kind of what the recreational market is as far as that and and they're not coming at it and haven't come at it from a medical focus and and truly there are so many quote recreational users quote that are actually treating something they're treating ptsd anxiety yeah. yeah, there's no question. I was just gonna, I was just gonna say that that would make sense to me that there's got to be a major overlap. So I, I, I just, you know, this has been um, extremely compelling um, to really understand, uh, you know, sort of the state of the state. And I'm hoping that maybe, 
you know, a year from now, um, there might be a little progress. And certainly, I'm someone who, as a physician and a scientist, uh, would love to see some good research here. And, um, and it, it's really tough working in that research void. Everyone out there, we've been talking to Dr. Leslie Apgar and Gina Dubay, and they are the uh, co-founders um, of Greenhouse, which is this um, uh, really, it, it's a medical uh, marijuana or cannabis dispensary, but it's beautiful. It's it's done the way a woman would love to see a spa and it's somewhere where you'd be able to send your mother. This is all brand new to so many of you out there and keep your eyes and ears open for opportunities to continue to learn more and more. And if you want to learn more and more, we'll start with the book that they wrote, High Heels, that's H. E-A-L-S, How Two Women Found Their Footing in the Cannabis Industry, and then run on over to their website, which is greenhousewellness.com, and learn more about what they're doing. Um, Just as an example of two women who, by their own admission, are at least perseverant and patient as they're putting all of this together. So with that, I just want to thank both of you for being on the Herb Podcast. It was our pleasure. <laughs> you're, you're doing the mind melding here. <laughs> you're doing the little, okay, so I get that as a little thank you, thank you. And everyone out there, you heard it. Run on over to iTunes, rate and review the show because I want to hear from you. Boy, was this compelling. Um, listen, really make sure to get that rate and review in because I want to hear from you because I'm Dr. Pam Peek. I'm host of this Herb Podcast. Follow me on Facebook at Dr. Pam Peek or Twitter or Instagram at Pam Peek MD. And remember to catch every single episode of the Herb Podcast on iTunes or Radio MD. Now, thanks for listening today. Stay safe and stay well.